Hi, I'm Val Hart, the real Dr. Doolittle, and today I'm here talking with Keith Varnum. He's a vibrant filmmaker in college, and at the tender age of 19, he went totally blind before he could launch out on his own. The prognosis of Western doctors was that Keith would be blind for the rest of his life, and that catapulted him into the adventures of his life. On the journey, he studied with medicine men, shaman, Hawaiian kahuna, and the Eastern spiritual masters, and he regained his eyesight, and he discovered in the process the secrets of all healing, of transformation, and success. Keith has tested these practical secrets in his 35-year career as an author, a certified matrix energetics practitioner, a life coach, a vision quest guide, an acupuncturist, a sound healer, he's a radio host, and he's the vice president of a multi-million dollar company. When he's not exploring consciousness in the canyons of Arizona, Keith travels around the world, assisting people to open to life's wonders and surprises in his dream workshops. Welcome, Keith. I'm so glad you made some time to talk to us today. Well, thank you. I feel very honored to be on your show. Wonderful. Thank you. We, you know, what I'd like to ask you about, and I know my listeners are eager to hear and learn more, too, is about shamanism. So is that okay with you? Let's talk about shamanism. Yeah, that sounds great. That's probably my favorite subject. Excellent. I love it. So give us a primer. What is shamanism? What is it, actually? Well, a, a shaman is is a, becoming a general term. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be more specific, but it's a general term for the wisest person or persons in a society. So in a tribal, indigenous, native society, uh, it would be the medicine woman or the medicine man, Sometimes they're called a shaman in that society, and then they have more specific names in, in other parts of the world. But every indigenous tribal culture, from the Eskimos down to South America, Australia, Asia, everywhere, have that kind of a person within their tribal group that is considered the person that you go to when you have a spiritual problem, a medical problem, a social problem, really a problem on any level. Um, they're not the political leader usually, but they're the spiritual and and uh, medical leader in the group. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Okay, and so I heard you say they could be male or female, so they're not traditionally one or the other. Absolutely, yes. They've, okay. They've, yeah. Okay, good, good. I like that. I, lo- I love the concept of the wise one, you know, the wise person in the society. I get that. I, I just to make a common uh, a connection there. When I work with animals, what we have is usually, especially in a group, you know, a herd, a tribe, or you know, a pack or something like that. Um, what we have is one that will stand for us to be. They're like the leader, the wise one, uh, literally that carries the consciousness for the group. And so I see that in in a different context with humans. You know, so we humans in in groups also have wise ones that are designated as our go-to, like you said, our spiritual and medical leaders that also assist in social problems. Or it's almost like they create the cornerstone, you know, yeah. the spiritual cornerstone. Would and you say very similar to the animal? consciousness and the way it works with animals in that it's a natural organic process. There's not a voting or any mm-hmm. sort of a lineage per se. It has to be the general consensus, the feeling of the whole group that this person is the one that would make the wisest assistance. Oh, I like that too. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Okay, so let's talk about how does a shaman practice? How does it actually work? 
generally, uh, shaman can practice in a group, but more usually they do one-on-one individual work. <clears throat> Although very often, sometimes they'll work with a whole tribe or a whole group. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that's very interesting I wanted to mention was that a true shaman will not even call him or herself a shaman. Okay. Because they work, <clears throat> basically the, the essence of a shaman is that their, their wisdom comes from that they hold a, a much broader view, a view outside the box, a view outside whatever narrow paradigm or <clears throat> belief system that a society is in. And that's how they can really be of assistance because they can look at things from different points of view. They can look at things from another dimension, from outside the context from which people are locked into a certain way of looking at something. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, they don't even like to lock themselves into the name or the label or what people think a shaman or medicine woman or man would be. And very often in a in a native tribal uh, group, the person that's actually designated the medicine woman or man or shaman is not actually the real shaman. It's their assistant in the corner, their assistant in the corner that makes the fires, that does the sage, that does all the sort of the grunt work. Wow! And they actually, and they, they say that they set it up that way on purpose, the real shaman, because that way they say they can observe from outside. They they can see more, and that people will talk to them more openly and honestly. Wow. If they feel they're just you know just just a an assistant, just a worker, and they don't uh, they 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 actually find that they can help people and help the tribe more as an outsider, even within the social unit. So very often the person that's labeled uh, the medicine woman or man or shaman is not the actual healer. Kind wow. of fascinating. Yeah. That is fascinating. Yeah. I get that, you know, because as the outsider, you do, you have a different type of um, role that people aren't real aware of, and so you get to observe and witness them, you know, when they're, like, not on their best behavior. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. like when they're not, you're not so conscious, so you see more. And yeah. also, just to throw in, they also okay. can witness them when they're on their higher behavior, their natural spiritual powers, okay. their gifts or their talents, which we also tend to hide socially very often. Right. Our, our talents and our gifts as well as some of our shortcomings. Right. So the shaman is looking for both. Mm. I like that. So what's the social role of the shaman then? The Did social role, well, they, they consider, uh, they don't have any distinction between mind, body, and spirit. Okay. It's all one energy function for them. So if there's something going on socially, uh, it, it's, a, it's a reflection of what's going on for a person medically or physically as well as spiritually. So okay. they'll work at it from that point of view. For example, um, in most indigenous native cultures, way back before they you know, intercount, encountered European society and white people, mm-hmm. The shaman or medicine man, if somebody was having, if the tribe was having a, a person was having a social problem or the tribe was or an individual was having a, a physical problem or, or relationship problem, that shaman would go and actually live with the person for three days or so 
sleep in the same room with them. Of course, they often all slept in the same room, but sleep mm-hmm. right next to them. Mm-hmm. Go to work with them, whatever that person did, hunting or gathering or whatever work, and spend three days as close to the experience of that individual that's having the so-called problem mm-hmm. as he could or she could mm-hmm. so that they could take in all the factors that are affecting this person. Okay. And then they would make, then from there they would see the forces and, and how to work with the forces and to harmonize them and dispel the forces that are acting on this person that are causing a social problem or a physical problem. Wow. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Oh, so what is the origin of the term? The origin of the term comes from North Central Asia, oh. up in Siberia, and it came to us through Russia. And uh, it's it's from the Tungsten language, which is a Siberian language. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So it originated that originated there. Mm-hmm. And then came all through the rest of the world. Yes, and it's kind mm-hmm. of overtaken. It's more general uh, than medicine men, medicine women. Kind of as people associate that more with Native American mm-hmm. tribes. Yeah. And yeah. the shaman now. There's urban shaman. There's corporate shaman. There's business shaman. It's 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 taken on a sort of generalized use for somebody who is really intuitive and wise, and has a broader a broader view of any situation so they can act as a shaman within that situation and give people a point of view or options or alternatives that they might not be seeing if they're narrowly all caught up within a belief system. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I think, oh, I love it. Mm. Okay, so how does a shaman assist you in freeing emotional and physical energy problems? Okay, of course, number one, They'll always work with whatever the special, unique situation is. Okay. Like a common story within the shaman community is if you if you see someone and they think their problem is their car doesn't work, mm-hmm. the first thing you might do is fix their car. Mm-hmm. Uh, so or give them some food if they don't look like they're eating well, mm-hmm. or take care of their cat or dog or their children or their house. You might clean their house <laughs> for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In other words, you work you work with what's available to start clearing the space, feng shui, as they'd say in China, clearing the space, clearing the energy, in whatever way that person is first willing to have happen. They usually don't work in a direct way at first. They'll work in a more indirect way. And then slowly, gently, intuitively get around to the core of the problem. Because, number one, the point of view of a shaman is that if this thing was easily seen and easily balanced or healed, the the person would have already done it. They would have done it themselves or gotten it out of book or a friend would have done it or an ordinary doctor or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the assumption is if they're calling in a shaman, it's something that is eluding the obvious. Mm-hmm. So the shaman wants to go deeper. So one of the things the shaman does is they spend, they, they're particularly gifted in seeing and feeling other dimensions. For instance, they'll read a person's etheric body, their energy field, their aura. They'll connect with the person's spirit animals, uh, with their ancestors, with angels and ascended masters, with the particular spirit guides of a person. In other words, all these helpful avenues within other dimensions that most people can't access. 
that's the particular toolbox of a shaman is really these awarenesses and information that they can get from dimensions that are actually available to everybody, but most people aren't trained mm-hmm. in how to access other dimensions. So the shaman will access uh, especially spirit animals, for instance, because the totem animals or power animals that are attracted to a person reflect their consciousness okay. and also basically tell you what where the person is losing energy or gaining energy or where they've given away power. I had one my one of my main teachers, which is Medicine Cloud. He's a Hopi medicine man, and he's a shaman in the traditional way. He used to he helped me for 20 years with my acupuncture patients. Okay. And he would show up and say in spirit he would show up and he'd say never don't bother listening to the patient. Mm-hmm. If they knew what was wrong with them, then they would have already corrected it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. So, there's no point in listening very long to their story because okay. it, it hasn't helped them, so it's not going to help you. <laughs> They're stuck in the drama of the trauma of the story. Exactly. Yeah. Plus, it's misleading because if it, if it led to a solution, it would have led the patient to a solution mm-hmm. so, or their friends. Yeah. So instead he said, pretend you're, talk- you're listening and talking to the person, <laughs> but listen to their spirit animals. Okay. Listen to their spirit guides that are in the room. Okay. And... And they will tell you where, where, where the person is really encountering an obstacle or a block or a challenge or losing energy or losing power. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that's mainly what the, how they'll diagnose the situation or get a sense of what, what's causing the disruption in the harmony in a person's life. Cool. And then to correct it, they'll do, the, they'll also go into that world of other dimensions and either they or usually with the patient or client with the person, they'll go into what's generally called a shamanic journey of one sort of or, not, or another okay. or a soul retrieval. And a soul retrieval can take many forms, but basically what it is is taking people on a guided meditation or an intuitive journey or a, a journey within their own consciousness to find and release blockages that have come up in that person's life that are blocking their joy, their their sense of magic, their sense of connection, places where, like in Western terminology, they might have disassociated from their body or disassociated from other people. Uh, the, shot, the basic idea is that along the way in life, when we are, we lose our innocence, when um, we are, when somebody attack, we feel we feel anyway an attack from someone, or we feel we're shut down or ignored or abandoned. Or betrayed, often we lose some of our excitement for living. <clears throat> for living, mm-hmm, yeah, we lose, we we shut our ourselves down, and we make decisions like, well, I'll never do that again, or I'll never touch someone that way again, or I'll never show my power, or I'll never speak my truth in that way again, or I'll never sing again, or I'll never dance again. You know, right. we make all these decisions so that by the time we're twenty or so, we we've cut. We've pretty much narrowed down every form of natural, organic, spontaneous self-expression. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's when the dis-ease begins, when we start not being able to draw upon our natural creative reserves, uh, both, you know, socially or romantically or professionally, uh, because we've shut down so many avenues. So a shaman tr- assists us. It might be an informal discussion. It might be a walk in the woods. 
Very often it's having you lay down on the floor or a bed or a massage table, and the shaman will play music to relax you and your body, uh, will guide you with their words to maybe on a guided journey back to uh, a forest or a lake or some favorite place of yourself. Mm-hmm. And using metaphor and symbology and so on, will get a sense of where where it went wrong, where did you shut down. And then once he finds that, both physically as well as energetically and emotionally and with touch, they'll help to move the energy. So like physically, they might do a kind of a massage mm-hmm. uh, where they'll move the stuck energy um, that represents that part of your life or that trauma. Uh, emotionally, they might have you breathe into it and also talk you, you know, say, well, what if... What if um, this person, you know, didn't, what if you looked at it from a different point of view? What if this person didn't intend to put you down? You know, they just didn't know any better. Like, say, with our parents or, you know, they didn't know what they were doing. They were just doing all they they knew how to do, but we interpreted it as being betrayed or shut down or ignored. So they might have you look at it from a different point of view so you can release the anger and hurt that you're holding about it. Okay. And those kind of things. So they'll they'll work with whatever way, if it's in a business or corporate or mainstream situation, they'll use those kind of interactive tools. If it's in a more spiritual or alternative situation, they have a lot of other tools they can use to help move the energy. Okay. I love this. So is that considered, is that what you mean by shamanic journeying? Yeah, so shamanic okay. journey, uh, very often the shaman can be, take you on a shamanic journey and you don't even know what's going on. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you might think you're going to the supermarket, but oh. he, he or she's really taking you on a shamanic journey because it won't be an accident where they take you, the vegetables, the people. Uh-huh. But a formal shamanic journey is one usually where someone lays down and they, they might do a little massage. They'll def- usually use music. And they'll do a kind of guided meditation to help you go deep into your psyche, deep into your feelings and into your uh, story on an energetic level. They'll try to keep it very energetic, vibrational, so that you don't get stuck in the story, uh-huh. you know, in literal translation, but where you just talk about how, you know, something happened to you and you no longer felt joy or... You know, they'll kind of keep you moving through these situations and to view and feel these situations in a different way so they come unstuck. So you they harmonize and you release where you're holding on, where you're holding back. Wow. Okay. I love a shaman, that. if anything, is very, very flexible. Okay. Yeah. So, well, they're, they're guided. Yes. They're, they're present, observing, and guided. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got it. They're I, guided I by their higher self and by your higher self. Got it. So let's talk about power animals. Mm. Spirit animals, power animals, uh, totems, uh, those kinds of things. Can you speak to that for a moment? Uh, Sure. Um, Everybody has them, whether you're aware of them or not. Um, And it is fun to become aware of them because then you can have a more creative, collaborative relationship with them. Okay. What they are is they, they are energy fields of that you associate certain qualities or energies or 
that you associate with certain animals. And, and usually it's, it, it is important that it's usually individual and personal. There can be commonalities, like we all view the eagle somewhat similarly in the United States or the lion around the world. Uh, we'll have a similar uh, spirit or essence or qualities for most people around the world. But it is very individual, and it does change for the this, this society. Mm-hmm. Like in China, it, the rat is a good thing. You know, in the United States, no one would want a rat as a <laughs> charming animal. But in other, or a cricket, or, you know, like mm-hmm. China and the United States is the biggest, you know, differences, because they still have certain animals that nobody would think are very powerful or mighty here. But mm-hmm. in the Chinese society, a mouse and a cricket and a rat are actually good things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but in this society, mm-hmm. they're not. So it is very cultural. It's also personal. But a, a spirit animal is is an animal you may or may not have ever encountered this animal physically or personally, like a cat or dog or horse. It, it often develops in childhood through cartoons of all things, you know, in comic books. Oh, interesting. And stories. You okay. know, if you look at all the nursery rhymes, all the stories that were read throughout our life as children, they all involve, involve animals. Right, right, Even they the do. classic nurse, you know, stories and fables, Aesop fables, as well as right. modern cartoons. Right. And through all that, we as individuals get attracted to certain animals that make us feel more alive, make us feel more courageous, make us feel more safe, make us feel more uh, in, uh, inventive or trusting. And those are actually that we get we develop an affinity, personal affinity, for the energy and spirit and gifts of those particular animals. Okay. And as you associate with them, um, and kids go through stages. For instance, it might be dinosaurs for a year or two, then it might be cats for a year or two, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's fine, too, because we'll choose, our spirit animals and totems change depending on what we need mm-hmm. in our life. Mm-hmm. For example, if you just went through a bankruptcy or divorce or some other, or just moved to a new part of the country or changed jobs, you might call in more spirit animals that have to do, like a bear or horse, that have to do with strength and home and security and recovery and recharging. Mm-hmm. Um, and then say you get involved in a new job or a new relationship, then you might call in more, uh, a spirit animal of yours that that is very trusting and frolicly and inventive and outgoing Mm, mm -hmm. because that's the kind of energy you need in your life right at Mm -hmm. Mm that and we all whether we're aware of it or not have this spectrum of four or five or six main spirit animals that we call on during our life in times of emotional or social need and you can and the shaman what the shaman will do and you can do it yourself as well is in a meditative state, and that just means when you get calm and quiet and get into your heart to some degree, as much as you can, Mm -hmm. uh, you can call upon, whether you know what the animal is or not, you know, call upon an animal totem to show itself or or to reveal itself through energy, or it might, if a person's visual, they might see the animal. Not everyone's visual, so it's very important to allow yourself to have a spirit animal show up as a feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, or an idea or a thought, because not not all of us are visual. So okay. not everyone people are going to see their spirit animals, but most people will sense them in some way, feel them or sense them in some way. Okay. Some people actually will smell their spirit animal first, oh. or yeah, or hear it, and that's often the way it'll come into your life. 
or it might come in physically when you leave the house, especially if you live in a more natural environment than a city. Mm-hmm. It's much more common for people who live in the country to actually physically run into some of their spirit animals, like a fox or mm-hmm. a bunny or whatever. Right, and so I think if we, I know a lot of people will say that they keep seeing, mm-hmm. you know, um, the same kind of bird over and over and over. Yeah. Everywhere they go, they see that bird, you know. So would that be an indication that that bird's trying to uh, connect, or there's a message there, or that's a absolutely spirit a animal? shaman would mm-hmm. say. Yes, that the that bird is trying to connect with you, to share its energy with you, to share mm-hmm. a spirit animal or totem animal or an animal that keeps showing up in your environment like that. It's wanting to share its unique abilities and skills okay. with you. Okay. Uh, like keen insight or or flexibility or whatever the you know the unique qualities are of that animal. It's okay. wanting to bring your attention to that animal and to those abilities. And then it wants to share those with you and bring those same abilities and skills out of you and help you realize that you have those skills within you. Oh, wow, that's great. Yeah. So um, if you're seeing the same animal or you keep or you have a, a connection with an animal, are there resources that would help us to find out or dig further into what the gifts or skills or talents or our power or energy uh, might be? Could you direct yeah, that, us Yes, yeah, absolutely. Not, number one, ideally, I would suggest, the shaman would suggest, first, go to your intuition. See if from your heart in, in a meditation if you can come up with a direct insight. That's always the best because it's right on, spot on, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then you, that's, what, that's what it is for you. But very often, because we're not trained in this way or we have a lot of other things going on, yeah. or we're very emotionally involved, we might not have that intuitive clarity. Mm-hmm. So a good, probably the most common good resource is a book called Animal Speaks. Animal, Animal Speaks. Speaks. Okay. And I don't know the author, but you could just Google Animal Speaks. Okay. And a lot of this information is on, good information is on the Internet. Okay. Where you could just Google in a search for animal communication or spirit animals, animal totems, and very often those that particular shaman or teacher or book will list you know a hundred or so common animals mm-hmm. and give you the the qualities that those animals have mhm mhm got it um I think the author is of animal speak is Andrews yes, that sounds right right that's right. a particularly good one good, good, okay, good, yeah, I actually had that on my shelf oh, okay, <laughs> that's great. Good. Yeah. okay, I love that thank you all right so so what's a um, what is the purpose? And I, I'm not even sure of the term here. Shamanic ecstasy. What is that? Well, uh, it's it's kind of funny. In preparing for this interview, I realized that that things have changed a lot in the last ten or twenty, thirty, forty years. Okay. The the state that a shaman goes into to get this information to help you to help a person. Mm-hmm which is really an intuitive state, a vibrational, energetic state, opening to other dimensions. 30 or 40 years ago, and especially 100 or 200 years ago, um, would be considered a trance or an ecstatic state. Oh, okay. Because people were so serious in the West. (laughs) Yeah. And so shut down and so rigid and so intellectual that anybody that went into any kind of an unusual or altered state, they would have to label it a trance or an ecstatic state or ecstasy. 
What, but in the last 10 or 20 years, it's getting more common for ordinary people to, to open to extraordinary states of being, at least super relaxed states of being, where they feel a little tingling, they feel, I noticed in my own seminars, it used to be people couldn't, didn't really know what you were talking about when you talked about energy, say 20 years ago, mm-hmm. and now they can actually feel it, and it's mm-hmm. very easy for people to feel it. So they're starting to feel their own energy body, and they can start to feel energy bodies around them, i.e. spirit animals or mm-hmm. their spirit guides. Mm-hmm. And so ecstasy is, is, isn't it that, that term developed when it was a more unusual quality for a human being to be able to, to feel their energy body and feel that sort of tingling and... Wow. Now the shaman, the ecstasy also indicates that the shaman tends to go into it, of course, much more deeply and acutely than most people. And when you do, it's very blissful. It's very ecstatic. So that's where the term came from. Wow. When you really drop deeply into your natural state, it's a state of pure connection with spirit, with God, with pure energy, and it's very orgasmic. It's very exciting, uh, energetically cool. state. So that's wow. where the term came from. Oh, I love that. Oh, I like knowing about that too. I, oh, that's great. Okay, let's see. What else is on my list of questions for you? Oh man. Um, so let's let's do this one. What is the relationship between shamanic traditions and culture? Well, they're very. Um, they're very bound together. Okay. Shamanic tradition usually expresses the, through the culture it's in. So they'll use labels, names, terms, clothing, practices, techniques, ceremonies, and rituals that that particular culture recognizes and is familiar with and feels safe with and will respond to. Can you give us Where an example? always works within the customs and familiarity of, of the traditions of a culture. But they, get, okay. they work in a very similar way in, in the form. The essence is the same, and the form comes out in whatever form that person can recognize. Okay. Can you give us an example, something that we might recognize? Well, one thing that just came up was, uh, I forget what they, the, they used to actually call them trance sometimes. Um, the things where kids go and dance all night. Uh, oh. Rave. Uh, a rave. Yeah. Really? A, a rave is in a form a shamanic ritual that kids hit upon naturally, and a lot of them, some kids considered that spiritual. Others just thought it was having fun or yeah. getting high mm-hmm. or having a party. But um, it's also like within a birthday party or an anniversary. That point of any get together where people get really after an hour or two, where people like want to start singing even for he's a jolly good fellow or happy birthday, <laughs> where people start putting their arms around each other and they want to start singing and touching, it's actually entered into a shamanic ritual at that point. Really? Because people are starting to, yeah, because they're starting to feel close to each other. They're starting to feel a oneness, a connection. Okay. And if you notice at that point, after an hour or two, whether it's in a bar or around the kitchen table or even in a church after a wedding or whatever, after an hour or two, people get relaxed and they want to start touching and they want to start singing or moving or dancing. And they usually have a band for that reason because people actually enter into that shamanic state of wanting to move their energy on all levels, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Wow. And, and so um, a shaman would, would work with, with that. 
And then if people are, you know, open to it, they might bring in more traditional shamanic devices, such as a drum, which is a basic shamanic. The drum is very powerful, and in China they'd use a gong, and in Australia they'd use the didgeridoo. Okay. And what's powerful about those is they're very strong vibrational instruments, and the strong vibration of a gong or a drum or any repetitive sound, it tends to short out the mind, stop the mind, quiet the mind. And the, when the mind gets quiet in people, then the heart can come forth, the spirit can come forth. They start feeling and sensing, and so they start feeling the connection the, uh, between the commonality between them and other people, as opposed to the mental differences. And... So that's why a drum is very often used, or the gong, or a crystal bowl, or a didgeridoo, because they have a very strong vibration that tends to break down the barriers, break down the rigidity physically and energetically and emotionally within people. Um, but in the in the West, they also would use a very loud choir. The louder, the more voices, the better. Because when you're in the presence, say, of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir or a huge mm-hmm. choir for the Messiah, you know, on Christmas Eve, it's very hard to hold on to your nitpicky little worries and mental, you know, mind critic when you're in the presence of such a volume of human voice, you know, and such powerful vibration of harmony and joy. Mm. And that's the purpose of sound and music, is to break down the, the barriers of separation that people feel. Then their energy starts to move, and when the body relaxed to that degree and feels connected to life force and to other people, therefore to God or spirit, the body tends to heal, whether it's an emotional disharmony or physical. Wow. Wow. More, I'm, I'm, I'm just spinning here with so many <laughs> possibilities. I, you know, I, I see that you know our young people are typically really drawn to music. You know, loud, yeah. louder the better. You know, kind of. Yeah. Thing. Um, this, just is so interesting and fascinating how this shows up in uh, in our society. You can see it even in business meetings. You can see it anywhere. Huh. It's quite, or you know, a, a bunch of hunters get together after hunting, mm-hmm. or you know, or mm-hmm. celebrating a like it's, bonding, it's, bonding, it's bonding. Kind of yes, stuff. exactly. Yeah. That's what yeah. bonding is all about. And huh. when a group reaches that level, all kinds of behaviors are are socially acceptable that wouldn't ordinarily be socially acceptable. Touching, kissing, dancing, hugging, mm-hmm. s- sitting together so they're physically touching instead of apart. Mm-hmm. And all of those things tend to help a person to connect to the oneness, to God, to spirit. Mm-hmm. And so their bodies tend, they tend to heal. Interesting. Oh, this is such a fascinating topic. Huh. Oh, let's see. Man. Um, last question, Keith. How does one become a shaman? <laughs> I'm laughing because some people like me um, discover reluctantly at first that they are a shaman. You know, a reluctant shaman, right? A reluctant shaman. Yeah. <laughs> the accidental shaman. The accidental shaman, exactly. A lot of a lot of people end up that way. I uh-huh. suspect you're one as well. Because I I hear a lot of similarities here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, what you're, I do in my work. Yeah. Exactly. And uh-huh. a, a radio talk show host is among the greatest, most powerful, effective shaman in our culture because wow. they're, they're using media, they're using. Right. Um, so a shaman 
if you want to, if you, if someone wants to set the intention, they uh, to become more of a traditional shaman, or at least become more of a conscious shaman mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in whatever they do, whether it's you know media or PTA meetings or you know sports or anything, because you can be a shaman within any human endeavor. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it's what you can do is all my teachers, all my shaman teachers told me this. Set the intention and meditate or pray or in whatever way you put out a request to the universe that you encounter, um, especially people, that will assist you. And in every case I know, when I've had friends or clients who've said they wanted to become more of a shaman within their area of, you know, as a teacher or whatever, a guidance counselor or whatever, mm-hmm. or a musician or uh, someone will show up in their life who will be a mentor. Mentors, a true mentor is actually a shaman. Because a really good mentor, no matter what they're mentoring you in, is going to use all the shaman techniques to assist you to to reveal your, your unique inner qualities. So even if it's a woodworking mentor or an educational mentor or mm-hmm. a mentor in business or whatever, mm-hmm. they're they're going to be very sensitive to who you are and how they can help you realize and actualize your own unique potential. And that's what a shaman is. So if you ask for asking, you will, re- will receive. Someone will show up who will, a teacher will show up. And the teacher could show up as a, a CD program, a website, you know, a book mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. a movie. Mm-hmm. especially as a, a beginning stage, but usually a physical teacher will show up to assist you to the next step. Mm-hmm. But they probably, they almost certainly, in all my experience and everyone I've ever talked to, a shaman will rarely show up or a mentor in a in the package or appearance or form that you expect. <laughs> they might not be the gender you expect. They might be older, younger. Mm-hmm. Whatever, but they're probably not going to look and sound and come from an area that you would have expected your next teacher would come from. <laughs> you sound like you're speaking from personal experience. Oh can, yeah. Can you tell us a story? Uh, How did this happen for you, Keith? Well, this this is this has probably happened with this has happened with every one of my teachers. They okay. were not people that I would have ever imagined that uh, um, I would get involved in. My Problem. Let's see. My one of my one of them, one of my teachers was a sixty-year-old Jewish businessman with a New York accent. <laughs> and so I, Lester Levinson. Some people might have heard his name. Okay. And I would have never. I wasn't. I wasn't Jewish. I was. I was from the East Coast. I knew a lot of New Yorkers, and they have some good qualities and some that I wasn't particularly fond of. So I never would have chosen. You know, a real, you know, new. He was really New York through and through. Mm-hmm. And but he spoke wisdom. You know, he spoke to my heart. He made sense where no one else did. So I ended up ah. spending like ten years with him because wow. I'm really glad I did. And I had to. Usually, you have to look past the outer appearance or form of okay. a teacher. It's like that story in the Christian tradition of, you know, be careful what you say or do to the beggar on the street corner right? Uh, because it might be Jesus, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because uh, very often uh, teachers will, part part of becoming a shaman is to learn to look past surface appearances. Mm-hmm. So very often you have to 
be able to have that ability to look beyond or behind surface appearances, even to find your next teacher. Wow. Mm, I love that. How interesting. Oh, man. Oh, I've so enjoyed this. Yeah. All right. Well, I know I could keep you here talking all day. I'd I'd love to know a lot more about your own journey and the blindness and and how you actually regained your sight. Um, Do you want to speak to that for for a moment? Sure, I can do it fairly quickly. (laughs) It's kind of a classic. I realized preparing for this interview, it is a classic way you said you ask how do you become a shaman well this is one way that people do become a shaman okay in that accidentally is so-called accidentally right right is is that they'll have a traumatic life experience whether it's a classic near-death experience or injury or disease or bankruptcy or divorce or betrayal something very traumatic will happen a death in the family mm-hmm. um or your own near death and for me, it was I was a fairly happy um, 19-year-old filmmaker who lost his eyesight completely. How did that and, happen, Keith? Oh, it just disappeared. Um, I actually I went to Europe, and uh, seeing the way Europe, I felt Europeans would be living more enlightened than Americans. <laughs> and when I discovered that there wasn't that much difference, no, not I, really. I was severely depressed. No. Because that okay. had been my, for my whole life, my whole teenage life, I thought, well, I'll just go to Europe, and they know how to live over there in a very <laughs> humane and civilized way. And when I okay. discovered it wasn't that much different, uh-huh. I was very depressed. And then okay. I started losing my eyesight there and had to oh. fly home. Oh. And Western medicine couldn't help me at all. So they sent me back home to my parents' home at 19 to live fully blind. Wow. Otherwise, I was a healthy 19-year-old. Wow. Not to mention a filmmaker. Goodness. Which, so what I did is what classically happens to people who discover they have some of these shaman abilities and qualities is I was home alone for a month, uh, involved in music. In the, well, the first thing was it involved me sensing that there was an energy or somebody. It felt like someone else in the house. Okay. But my parents were both at work, and... I started talking. There was no human person in the house, but I could feel this presence, like my grandmother, who I uh, loved. Uh-huh. And I started talking to this presence, and the more I talked to the presence, this energy, event, one day it talked back. Wow. And it told me to buy a guitar. I played the guitar for a month, and if you notice where you play a guitar is on all the chakras, mm-hmm. and it's a vibrational instrument. So mm-hmm. I was playing this noise for a month, and then one day I hit a very a beautiful chord, and I found myself saying, well, I could live for this because that chord made me feel so good. Mm-hmm. So I said, I'm willing to live blind for this if I could feel this way. And the next day my eyesight started to come back. Wow. So it wow. life crisis throwing me to being desperate to opening for a new way to interact with the world. Okay. And that connected me with another dimension which helped me, you know, heal. Wow. Yeah. Oh, how amazing. Oh, it's just amazing. Hmm. Well, I, as you, as I may have told you, <clears throat> uh, last year, I lost my vision in my left eye, mm-hmm. uh, retinal tear and complete detachment. And uh, that hasn't come back completely yet. 
Now, how, did, so, did any, was there any particular physical trauma or, um, not, or emotional, or what was going not, on at the time? Yeah, not specific. There was a lot going on, uh, as usual for me. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but um, yeah, nothing specific to pinpoint it to. Um, so it was just one of those. Was, was it an extremely things. stressful time? Did something happen? Yeah. Yeah, it had been just extremely distressful. Um, uh, my uh, father had contracted a brain tumor, mm-hmm. and uh, we had been with him through that. I'm an only child, mm-hmm. and um, so I spent a lot of time going, you know, up to Austin, which is where my parents um, were or are, and um, you know, trying to help him through that. And of course, he died, and um, and then my mom was in a really bad shape, and uh, no one to help, and a lot of stress, a lot of worry. Um, so trying to help her uh, get through that. And um, it was just an ongoing series of things and a lot, a lot of stress. So, right. yeah, that was what kind of happened to me. And um, so I've been working through this, and, and it's been interesting. Uh, so interesting what are your process. actual symptoms? Because one thing that's very helpful, and this is the way shaman work as well, but all healers, is to make a distinction between what you are experiencing directly like say blurred vision, you know, if you have, if someone's having blurred vision, then they know they're having blurred vision. That's a personal direct experience. Mm-hmm. And then you can put a medical reason or diagnosis on it, and that's really a theory. Mm-hmm. Often right. they don't know why it's happening, but they have a theory. So it's very helpful to separate the two, so that we don't start living out um, medical terminology rather than because it's much easier to heal blurred vision than it is. Um, you know, some long Latin term for, <laughs> or even detached retina. I mean, do we, mm-hmm. does a person really know their retina is detached? Mm-hmm. They've been told that. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do, I do. This so what true. are your actual symptoms? Well, I do have blurred vision. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Uh, very blurred, like I'm looking through dirty plastic. Okay. Um so did this happen that. in a, in around? Did it just happen overnight, or did it develop gradually, or don't you know? It developed gradually with a little little missing spot in my visual field, okay. and then it slowly took over the whole vision, and then both eyes, uh, just in the one eye. Oh, just one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Which and one? The left. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and it was I, I had no vision. I was completely gone. Uh-huh. Uh, I did two surgeries, and um, they thought that I would have my vision back, you know, after the second surgery, uh-huh. and uh, has not really come back. So okay. um, I, I can actually see uh, some things to a point. It's just very, very blurry. Okay. Is uh, your right eye fine? Mm, it's it's relatively fine, yeah. Okay. A little blurry also at times, but okay. um, it's it's my... It's my be- best eye at the moment. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, and that's my story. That's partly what made me so intrigued with what you've got going on. And, sure. and I'd like to talk to you a bit more about that, um, see see where we go with that. Sure. But I know, let's go ahead and wrap it up here for our listeners today. Okay. And, uh, and what I'll do is let you and I talk, and then maybe we can come back, um, and, uh, and I'll share what's happened um, with me. Uh, if you'd like to do that, that would be sure. really cool. Um, so, let's see, you have something for our listeners today, is that right? Uh, yes, I have a, a free CD that you can get by calling my 800 number or go to my website. Okay. And it is a, it's called How to Create Prosperity Now, and that's prosperity in the full sense of the world, 
word, abundance okay. in the world, in health, in friendship, in love, uh, in all avenues of your life. Okay. And the website is thedream.com, thedream.com. So uh, dot com. Yes. Got it. And, and the phone number is 800-736-7367. Okay, so the website is thedream.com, phone number 800-736-7367. Yes. Got it. And you've got uh, the free prosperity CD, How to Create Prosperity Now. I know I'm definitely going to get my copy. I want to know. Uh, it's so, a guided meditation, very much like a shamanic journey. Oh, I like that. It is a shamanic journey. <laughs> it's a guided shamanic journey. Well, oh my gosh, we've got to have that. Definitely. Um, and I also know that I visited your website, of course, and I love your website. There are so many wonderful stories and articles and helpful stuff on it. So, uh, listeners, go for it. Go to thedream.com. Uh, and then uh, how else can they contact you, Keith? Uh, you're willing to give them their, your email? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Keith, Keith, K-E-I-T-H, Keith, K-E-I-T-H, at thedream.com. Great. All right, everybody. Wonderful. Thank you, Keith. I have so enjoyed talking to you today. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. So wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for the work that you do, for your love, for life, uh, for your journey, for finding the treasures in your wound, you know, the the beauty and the, the gift within your experience and bringing it to us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.